welcome to Carmel Presbyterian Church's podcast channel. Open up a Bible or just listen in. We hope this week's message is a blessing to you. Oh, it is so good to see you, even with masks on. You're still beautiful. And so fun that we can gather in person. We're so glad that we know the majority of our people are watching from home. And we think that's great as well. Get your communion elements ready, the bread and your drink as we will be celebrating communion in a little bit. Um, You know, my prayer this morning is that you would know God's immense love. As simple as that. As we dig into God's Word, we start a new series. um, That it's out of my power, but by the power of the Holy Spirit, we believe and know is here. Uh, God would stir your heart and stir your soul, would speak to you something out of uh, whatever I prepared this morning. It's really up to the Lord. And so we're trusting and believing that God is going to uh, speak to us and remind us that we are citizens of heaven. And as citizens in heaven, we have so much to live for now on this earth. As we start this new series, I want to remind you that in the Bible... There are 500 verses on faith, there are 500 verses on prayer, and over 2,000 on this topic. That means that one out of every 20 verses in the Bible is about this topic. And so, and as well as 11 out of the 39 parables of Jesus are on this topic. And you wonder, what is this topic? Well, it's money. It's possessions, it's stewardship, and uh, two people in the front knew I was going to talk about money, so they just left. They're gone, so I don't know. They knew money was up, and they already took off, so thanks for coming. Um, But it makes sense why Jesus talks so much about money. Author author Randy Alcorn, uh, who I'm basing the series after, who wrote a book called The Treasure Principle, he said this. He says, our approach to money and possessions is central to our spiritual lives. Isn't that amazing? I think that's why did Jesus talk so much about money? Because he knew it was central to your life. Central. So we're going to spend the next few weeks talking about that. I think it's going to be fun. And I asked you this, but as we talk about money, it is so uncomfortable. Now, I know for Thanksgiving, all our plans have been kind of changed, right, what we normally do. But imagine you're at Thanksgiving dinner with all your lovely friends and family around. You want to kill a good Thanksgiving gathering, ask, ask them and say, well, how much money do you make? Or how much debt are you in? Then Thanksgiving meal done, right? Money is an awkward conversation. And yet, as we take time to study Jesus's words about money and possessions, I want to help us focus the next few weeks, and Pastor Luke's going to help me one of these weeks, to, to see three things. I want us to see our true home, I want us to see our true vision, and I want us to see our true Lord as we talk about money and possessions from the perspective of the Bible. And I don't want us to forget the Galatians series that we just finished, where we learned over several weeks, and Pastor Reed Jolly, our guest preacher, was so great to wrap us up, but the main thing we learned that the gospel is all about Jesus plus nothing. Say that with me. Jesus plus nothing. Nothing. So I don't want you to hear anything from the message today of the next few weeks that it's, oh, it's Jesus plus legalism or Jesus plus a certain political party or it's Jesus plus tithing. If you add something to Jesus and you're closer to God, no, 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 it's just Jesus. Let's not forget the message of Galatians and the message I'll be sharing. We simply put our faith in Christ. You cannot add anything to Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. It's simply our faith in Christ. Instead of putting our faith in something else, 
but that includes even putting your faith in yourself. We put our faith in Christ primarily. We're going to see our lives come together. Now, the scriptures are going to guide us. The scriptures are going to lead us even as we talk about money. Here's a true story. Kathleen Norris shares a story about a rancher and his bride, and he received a leather-bound Bible as a wedding gift from the groom's grandfather. They wrote thank you notes to everyone, including the grandpa, but they took that Bible and stowed it away on a closet shelf. So as time passed, the grandfather kept asking, how do you like my gift? And they were like, we already told you, we think your gift is great. But he kept asking, well, how do you like my gift? And they kept telling him, it's great, it's fine. It got kind of irritating, kept asking and asking and asking. So they finally grabbed it off the shelf and they opened it up and out fell a $20 bill. And they went to the next book of the Bible, another $20 bill. The grandpa had loaded $20 bills for every time they opened up the Bible that treasures would fall out because the grandpa wanted them to know the treasures of the Lord are contained in this book. He he put literal treasures to help them to know God's word is faithful. So we're going to take a look at God's word today our treasure book, to learn more about our true treasure, Jesus, and how he wants to handle money. Now, this treasure book of God's word says in 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 6, that's where we're going to be today for a little bit. It's, he says, Paul says this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Now, Paul, the apostle, knows that when our hearts are captivated by the love of God, our natural response is to sow into the work of God, which always has a good result. So what Paul is saying in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 is, yes, invest in the things of God, but what he knows is when our hearts are captivated by the Lord, our natural response is to give back. And that was my story. I shared it a couple weeks ago, a few weeks ago, when I was captivated by the love of God at, at a low point in my life. And God's love kind of washed over me. And I saw clearly for the first time, God, God is real and I can live for him. I'm telling you, my most natural response was, I want to live for you, Lord. Because I experienced his love, experienced his presence, experienced the truth of his word. The most natural thing to do when you experience the goodness of God is to Live your life as a thank you. It's the most natural thing. And that's what Paul is talking about. He says, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. When you've been touched by the love of God, by the glory of God, you want to live in response to God. You want to sow into the things of God. You see, because Christ came not to make you a good giver, not to make you a moral person, a better, a better human being. He came to completely change your life. He didn't try to make your life good. He wants to make you good. How? Jesus Christ and came. He came and died on a cross and he took on your bad resume of sin and replaced it with his perfect resume of righteousness. He's not just trying to make you a better human being. He's trying to make you good because he takes his righteousness and puts it on you. And when you let that reality soak in that there's nothing you need to do to earn God's love, there's nothing you need to do to keep God's love, he just is, he loves you and you're secure in him, your natural response is to live for him, right? That's worth clapping for. Your natural response with your life, when you know you're secure in his love, is to live for him. It's the most natural thing to do. 
The natural thing is to respond with your life as sowing into God's work with your time, with your treasures, with your talents. But listen to this, friends. Paul's saying, don't do this out of guilt. It has nothing to do with Jesus. He says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 7, each one must give as he is decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Literally, the word is a hilarious giver. He wants happy givers, not guilty givers, not coerced givers, cheerful, happy, joyful, more than just willing, exuberant givers. Givers who have been captivated by the love of God. Say, I remember traveling to Africa. I won't tell you the exact country. Beautiful country, our church at that time where we were partnering with the organization to sponsor 800 orphans in several villages and where clean water and medical supplies was amazing times. So I traveled there with our mission team. One of the blessings of that, you get to visit different churches. And so we were in this wonderful African church and wonderful preaching. And it came to the um, giving time, you know? So I was thinking they're going to pass the plates like they do in Presbyterian churches. Lo and behold, everyone starts to line up. And not only that, they're pulling out wads of cash. And they're dancing down the aisles with their money. I'm suddenly going like, uh, I don't think I brought enough bills for the way that our brothers and sisters are doing this. So, and I, I noticed, too, the guy went up to the front, and this whole line behind, they're dancing, they're singing, it's joyful, and they're throwing down bills. And he threw down another bill, and he's got kind of this move. He's throwing down another bill. And I realized... He got a bunch of small bills so he can dance longer. So I was thinking, can someone like, can I trade in my four? I had two 20s. Like, can I trade in 40 US dollars and get like 10,000 of these like African dollars? Which I would, because I'd be dancing a long time too. I felt under compulsion in that moment. I was very nervous. Like, we're going to look like the cheap Americans who's like, oh, I have two bills for you. Like, this is not fair. I was feeling under compulsion in that moment though. So I want to frame this whole conversation about giving with the spirit of gratitude, uh, uh, not a spirit of guilt. As we shared at our congregational meeting last Sunday, we are so grateful for your generosity. So I want to take a moment just to let you know the ways that the Lord has used you in this season. See, when COVID hit several months ago, I was just a pastor here seven months and COVID hit the last seven months. We had no idea how that would affect our church. We had no idea how giving would go. So we, we tightened our belts, we reduced spending, but we kept ministering. And then at some point we asked you, would you please give? And you gave. You made it possible to, for us to keep ministering and above and beyond. Your generosity meant that the food pantry that got started in Seaside in partnership with Martha Henry, helping seniors and veterans and families Every day, people benefit from that because of you. Every single day. Started off with just a few things. I mean, thousands and thousands of items have showed up, and they still are showing up because of you. Thank you. That's fun, right? God loves a cheerful giver. You kept giving. We asked you when the fires hit. We said uh, it hit hard in Kashawa down the valley. And together with Sanctuary Bible Church, we raised over $30,000 to help fire victims during COVID on top of the feeding ministry. And then, and then we started one of our church families and ministers started a Wednesday feeding program where dozens of people are getting fed every single week. It's still going every single week. Well, how are we able to do it? Well, you, 
Your donations, your food, your driving, your delivering, your prayers made it possible. Because of you, a ministry to adults and families and youth and children continue. Right now, we have a Sunday school happening outdoors that my, my six-year-old's in right now. Well, it's because of you, because you keep giving. You keep supporting. That's how we got the cameras <laughs> and put up the tarps and everything else. It's because you kept giving. That's why we have hundreds of people who are, who are watching right from home. It's you. So thank you. We didn't reduce $1 from our $235,000 we give every year to missionaries outside of ourselves. We didn't drop a dollar because in faith, we said our people are going to give. And so that means the gospel's going near and far is having an effect. So I want to make sure you hear me, the staff, and the elders saying, thank you. See, gratitude is at the center of this idea of generosity. It's not giving out of guilt. It's fun. It's a joyful response when you get involved in the things of God. It's not giving out of guilt. So we, but we do want to remind you, every one of us, every day, need to check our heart because the only true path of fulfillment is to make Christ your ultimate treasure. It's not fame, it's not control, it's not security, it's only Christ. When Christ is your ultimate treasure, it's not just a one-time prayer, it's an everyday decision to treasure Christ above all things, over security, over safety, over certainty, over my own comfort. I'm going to treasure Christ. Actor and comedian Jim Carrey said this. He said, I think everybody should get rich and famous and do everything they've ever dreamed of so they can see that it's not the answer. You know anyone who has a lot of resources, I promise you, when they get in that quiet moment, they'll tell you they're no happier than anyone else. You know what makes a difference? Christ as your treasure above all things. Treasure Christ above all. So you can see Paul is framing this whole conversation on giving around the idea of gratitude for God's grace. So after challenging Christians, as we read, to give joyfully, and after challenging Christians to sow generously, he says, don't do it out of guilt. And then he says in 2 Corinthians 9, verse 15, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. What is Paul talking about? What gift? Thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. If you look at the context of it, you know who the gift is? It's Jesus. That's the indescribable gift. Is Jesus. See, generous and joyful givers see Christ as their greatest treasure, and everything else flows out of that reality. See, the generous giver is a joyful giver. God actually wants you to be captivated by his love, captivated by his goodness and glory, and as a response, we give. See, the generous giver is a joyful giver. And as you're captivated by him, that comes before you give anything for him. The first thing is to treasure him. The second thing is always a response, a response to the unearned, unlosable love of God. It's a response. We're captivated by him before we give anything for him. See, generous givers know that placing your time and your talents and your treasures in God's hands, listen to this, is the best investment you can make towards a joyful life that you can have on this earth and in the next life. Place everything you have in God's eternal hands, and then you don't have to lose anything. Isn't that amazing? When you trust him, you're placing it in a more certain investment. Now, 
I have to mention my LA Dodgers. Sorry, San Francisco Giants fans. I know you shake your head. Stay with me. Don't email me. Don't write a mean letter yet. But listen, after they ended the 32-year drought, they captured the World Series last week, ending my misery for three decades. Uh, and I was particularly happy for Dave Roberts, the manager, and put the picture up. And um, he's had, you know, after many years of many critics, he's finally silenced the critics somewhat. Um, he didn't, they didn't think he had the leadership to get it done. But Dave Roberts is someone I've admired for a while. And I just need to let you know, San Francisco Giants fans, his best friend and business partner is a former Giants player, Rich Aurelia, okay? So he can't be that bad, right, if his best friend is a San Francisco Giants, okay? So we're all good, right? No mean emails, right? Okay, good. We're good. So I've always been a big fan of Dave's as well. He's part Asian. His mom is Japanese, right? So he's part Japanese and black. It's a big deal for us Asians. Like, oh my gosh, we have someone who's done something amazing. It's fun for us. But I'm even a bigger fan now because I didn't realize Dave's a Christian. I had no idea. I've been a fan for years. This man treasures Jesus. It was back in 1996 where Dave Roberts says that baseball was his God. Baseball was his God. And he thought being a good person was sufficient to live life. But then he had other Christians in his life that showed him what it really meant to treasure Jesus above all things. I want to pause here and say, Christians who are listening, Christians, you know, people are watching your life to know what it looks like to follow Jesus. People are watching your life to know what it looks like to sit under the lordship of Jesus. People are watching your life to see what does it really mean to be a follower of Christ. So Dave Roberts watched these people around him and he realized, I need that. And he made Christ his ultimate treasure, not baseball, not success, and not trying to be a good human being. He knew he never could be good enough. And so he says this, Dave Roberts said, my relationship with Christ is the most important thing in my life now. Beyond the game of baseball, he, Jesus, gives me lasting joy, contentment, and peace. And that's the great thing about allowing Jesus to become Lord. He really knows and wants what is best for my life. Do you believe that? I'm not saying he's going to make your life easy. I'm just saying he wants to give you the best, the best for your life. Do you actually believe that Jesus wants good things for you? He wants the best thing for you. Doesn't necessarily mean you're going to be the richest person on planet Earth. Doesn't mean your life won't be hard, but he actually wants good things for you, the best things for you. You see, we're called to see Christ as our greatest treasure in the best of times and in the worst of times. See, we, when we win the World Series, when our business is flourishing, when people appreciate us, don't forget that Christ is your ultimate treasure, right? When you're going through the best part of your life, don't forget Christ. And guess what? When you're at the worst of your life, when you don't even make it to the World Series, like last year when everyone said, fire Dave Roberts, he's a loser. That's what they all said last year. When you're at the lowest of your low, when your bank account's gone upside down, when your relationships are frayed, don't forget Christ is your ultimate treasure. The highest of the highs and lowest of the lows, don't forget whose you ultimately belong to. Don't forget Jesus is your ultimate treasure. Because Paul says, thanks be to God for his indescribable gift. Do you treasure Christ? Or maybe like a Dave Roberts, he was a Christian for a while, said a prayer, but he didn't treasure Christ. And some of us, we can go to church for a long time. We don't treasure him. We forget. Oh, treasure him. The highest of the highs, the lowest of the lows. Treasure Christ above all things. See, when we fail to make Christ our ultimate treasure, we'll always be looking for something, namely money and control, we're going to learn. 
Money and control go together. We make those our treasure when Christ isn't our treasure. Money and control. So I'm going to ask you to put Christ first, and I'm telling you, you won't be disappointed. God's treasure book is telling you to treasure Christ above all things, and you will have a joyful life. You won't be disappointed. He promises you, in fact, that you'll have heavenly treasures awaiting for you. We're going to talk about that in a minute. You know, yesterday, dozens of us gathered to pray. And our simple prayers we gathered in the local area in Monterey is that we would put Christ first in all things, in our businesses, in our churches, in our relationships, in our speech, in our families, in our education, Put Christ first in the way we voted. Put Christ first. However you're going to vote, put Christ first. We are citizens of heaven first. That is our ultimate destination, this heaven on earth that is to come. Put Christ first. Have you put Christ at the head of your life? Let me ask you, do you have an important decision coming up this week? Put Christ first. I want you to think of that decision. Think of that thing. It's probably stressing you out. Put Christ first. I want you to imagine putting into God's hands and say, Lord, I'm going to trust you for this. Put it in God's hands. Trust him for your future. Trust him for today. Put Christ first. You see, Christ is our greatest treasure, but don't miss this. Christ is our great rewarder. That's why I want you to go to Matthew 16, 27, if you will, with me. Matthew 16, 27. See, to say that Christ is our main treasure is true, but to say he's our only treasure, listen to this, is false. He's not our only, he's our first treasure, but not our only treasure. Matthew 16, 27, that we heard it earlier, says this, for the son of man is going to come in his father's glory with his angels. And then he will reward each person according to what he has done. Now, first of all, that's not a threat. It's not talking about salvation. Like if you don't keep up, oh, look out. Cosmic Santa Claus is coming for you. That's not what Jesus is talking about, okay? It's not about salvation. What Jesus is saying in a positive way is saying, keep up the good work. Keep sowing into the things of God because I am watching and I'm going to reward you and bless you for every earthly dollar you invest in heavenly things. I'm going to multiply it and I'm going to save it. And then when I come back, I'm going to give it back to you with interest. This is unbelievable, people. This is a bank I want to bank with. Jesus is telling you, not only are there heavenly rewards of salvation, awesome, not only does he promise his presence right now, the reward of God's presence, he's saying, oh, catch this, there's a third thing. There's actual heavenly rewards for every little thing or big thing you do in the name of Jesus that will come back to you in this next world. This is mind-blowing. I've glossed over this time and time again. But it was this book by Randy Alcorn that got me to see it. Like, wait, what? So I get salvation. I get present joy and life with God. He's with me. And then there's heavenly rewards on top of that. And Jesus is like, yep. Listen up, church. Live as if your investments have heavenly implications. Even beyond salvation. I mean, salvation's awesome. God's presence now, Awesome. He's like, there's a third thing. Heavenly rewards based on what you've done. The time, the talent, the treasures you invest in the things of God, God stores up. I think there's interest added. It's amount that it comes back to you in this next world. That's unbelievable. And so here's what I'm not saying, though. 
Even though Jesus actually encouraged us to give to expect future rewards, don't misunderstand me. This is not a health and wealth gospel. I'm not going to be handing out a plate and say, put $100 in, God's going to bless you with a car, a Honda Accord. But put in $1,000, God's blessing you with a Ferrari. Okay, that's like a health and wealth. Nothing against Accords, by the way. I love Honda Accords. But, but right? It's not a health and wealth gospel like put in more money and God's going to multiply your faith. No, no, no. In fact, the more you follow Jesus, sometimes the more poor you'll get. I'm going to be honest with you. You know why? Because you're giving away money. You're so detached from riches that you keep blessing orphans and you keep giving to church planting and you keep helping widows and you keep helping fire victims. You keep filling up food pantries, right? Sometimes the more you follow Jesus, the less money you'll have, but the more joy you'll have, right? So there's no guarantee of like a health and wealth kind of a thing here. But the Bible does say that when Jesus becomes our first treasure, heavenly treasures will follow. Jesus says in Matthew 16 to gather treasures for the world to come. How? By giving away treasures now on earth. Take your earthly dollar, invest it in heavenly things right now, and Jesus says, I have rewards for you in the future. This is unbelievable stuff. Now, I like playing board games. My daughter Avery will attest to you. They brought out Monopoly recently, which is great for me because it's fun when I win and beat my six-year-old and 11-year-old daughter and I collect all the Monopoly money. It's an awesome feeling, okay? Now imagine after I win all the Monopoly money, which has only happened once, by the way. Avery usually wins. But what if I started hiding the money in my jacket pocket? And in my pockets, keeping all the money. I take it, I don't put it in the board game board, putting away, I put it in my pockets. You'd go, Tim, that's pretty dumb. The money's only worth something while you're playing the game, right? And then you pause and say, how much money is my earthly money gonna be worth when Jesus returns? Let's pause. How much is it gonna be worth? Zero, except for the money you've invested in heavenly investments. This is the unbelievable part. He says, if you will take your earthly money and exchange it in the heavenly bank, that money is still good in the world to come. I'm not saying it's physical money. I have no idea what exactly he means, but he's promising something beyond salvation, that as we invest in the things of God, as we care for the widows and love on those who are needy and, and church plant and spread the gospel and word and deed that Jesus says, I got a plan and I'm going to reward you. See, God says, why are you holding on to earthly money that will be worthless in the kingdom to come? Use your earthly money to make heavenly investments that will last how long? Forever. He's saying, I have your best interest in mind. I don't want you to miss out on the best investment that will ever come your way. Your actual, literal, human, earthly money, possessions, your time, talent, and treasures, invest with me and you'll never lose it and I'll multiply it. And I give it back to you. It's a great investment. Why are you holding on to earthly money that we be worthless in the kingdom to come? I have everlasting riches, Jesus says. To give to you. I'm going to wrap up with Psalm 24.1. The earth is the Lord and everything in it. You know what that means? You belong to God. I belong to God. That speaker belongs to God. That guitar that belongs to God. This Bible belongs to God. My life belongs to God. My time, your talents, your influence, it all belongs to God. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. 
and that includes your money. Now imagine if you had a financial manager, I don't know if you have one, if you have investments, whatever it be, some of you do your own investing. But imagine you had a financial manager, you handed him your money, right, as many of us do, and they charge you this fee. But imagine you had a financial manager who you found out later just bought a brand new Tesla with your money. Because he's been treating your money like his. And he got some plastic surgery because he had you know, a little something, something he needed, you know. And so he took your money, bought a new Tesla, got some plastic surgery. How would you feel about your money manager taking your money and spending it like it was his own? And then we pause and say, well, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. You realize, I actually own nothing. I'm God's money manager. Wait, this is a whole revelation. I'm God's money manager. It's his money. The time and talents and treasures that I have are really his. I'm supposed to be investing it on his behalf for his benefit that I will be accountable for. Randy Alcorn says this. He says, when I grasp that I'm a steward and not an owner, it totally changes my perspective. Suddenly, I'm not asking how much of my money shall I, out of the goodness of my heart, give to God. Rather, I'm asking, since all of my money is really yours, Lord, how would you like me to invest your money today? Psalm 24.1, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Lord, how would you like me to invest your time, your talent, and your treasures today for your purposes? I'm an owner of nothing but I'm actually a steward. I'm God's financial manager. It's unbelievable. We are his money managers. One of our elders, Greg Ogden, teaches this. He says, God wants you to do three things with your money. Maybe you can leave with this practical thing. He wants you to do three things. First thing, you should pay God. That's your tithe. Secondly, you should pay your bills. Please pay your bills. (laughs) Don't not pay your bills. Pay your bills. Secondly, thirdly, pay yourself. You should save money. Now, now, we don't teach that the tithe has to be 10%. You'll hear churches and people say that. That's between you and the Lord, right? What percentage you want to give of your income? Everyone has a different situation. If you want to give 20%, amen. We love that, right? But you don't have to do a legalistic 10%. It's between you and the Lord. And yes, do save money. God has given you to make sure you celebrate birthdays. Make sure you take vacations, right? This is good things, And yes, pay your bills. Get out of debt, especially credit card debt. That's another sermon. Get out of credit card debt, everyone. Do it. The more you get out of credit card debt, the more you're able to tithe and invest in the heavenly kingdom. I'm telling you, get out of credit card debt as soon as you can. But remember, it's all God's money in the first place. It's never yours. You're the financial manager of God's assets. It's not yours. We're his money managers. It all belongs to him. And we will have an accounting one day of what we did. And God is saying in a positive way, every dollar that you use for my sake will return back to you multiplied. That's a great promise. See how fun it can be? Because Paul says God loves cheerful givers. It's not out of guilt. I want this. This is fun. This is the biblical way. So, The Lord is telling us, don't hoard what God gives you. You don't own it anyway. Prayerfully give it away as Jesus leads us because it puts our hearts in the right place. It sets our focus on the important things in life, the things in heaven, the things that will last forever. Isn't it amazing that God has your best interest in mind when he tells you how to invest? He has your best interest in mind. He doesn't want you to lose a dollar. He wants to multiply it in the heavenly world to come here on earth that you will have treasures beyond belief because you invested 
with God. He has your best interest in mind. As we head towards our communion table, in that spirit of gratitude, would you join me in a prayer? Let's bow our heads. Lord, we are reminded that we are citizens in heaven. And so, Lord, on this All Saints Day, we also remember believers who have gone before us, those who are already in your presence. Lord, we especially remember those who've lost recently who are with you. Lord, you remind us that you give us just a little bit of time on this earth to manage your resources. And you've entrusted this to us to bless us, yes, but to bless others. And we get heavenly rewards out of this. This is amazing. So Lord, help us not to waste our short little life by spending it on ourselves. Help me to invest in things that will bring heavenly rewards. So Lord, as we come to this table, we remind us that we join with all believers as we partake in this sacrament. Long, we, we, we long for you, Jesus, that day when you will return to make your heavenly home on this renewed earth, this place where there will be no more tears, no more crying, no more pain, no more COVID, no more cancer, no more poverty, no more fighting, no more divisions. Lord, as we prepare our hearts and minds, as we prepare to take this bread and cup, Lord, remind us that you are our ultimate treasure and everything we do is all a response to you. And it's in your name that we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening. For more information about Carmel Presbyterian Church, visit our website at www.carmelpres.org or any of our social media pages. Have a blessed rest of your week.